listening to Pet Candy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Simply Pets with Shannon Gregoire, and I'm your host. This program is brought to you by PetZ, a free app that connects you instantly with veterinary professionals 24-7. What are you waiting for? Download PetZ today. So I know everyone's been overwhelmed trying to get veterinary appointments, and it's even worse trying to find a specialty when you call the referral center, and it's, you know, two or three months for an appointment, especially if we're talking about the C word, right? No pet owner wants to hear it. Everyone dreads it when they think they find it and it's a top differential. And that C word happens to be cancer. So today I get to talk with an amazing veterinarian who is working to help increase the reach of veterinary oncology and to help more pet owners when they really need it most. So please help me welcome Dr. Rachel Venable. Thank you, Shannon. It's my pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to talk to you and about everything that's going on in the oncology world. It's really awesome and interesting. I feel like every other day I see a new ad for a new oncology product. So it's really exciting. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I feel like things were stagnant for a little while. And then the last, I don't know, year or two, it's just kind of exploded with all kinds of new things out there. Yeah, kind of like fireworks, the fireworks show of oncology products. <laughs> So before we get into all the nitty gritty and the new stuff going on, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to go into veterinary medicine, how you kind of got there, and then what led you to be an oncologist? Yeah, so my story is maybe similar to some people back in the day. I actually grew up on a farm, so I'm a Midwest girl, grew up with cows and chickens and all those things. And uh, so, yeah, so being surrounded by animals, I loved animals, so that's kind of where I got into veterinary medicine. And um, didn't necessarily want to be a, a cow vet, though. Um, so certainly leaned more towards the small animals. Um, and then in vet school, I really liked oncology. So I, I didn't know specialties, you know, any of that existed before school, especially growing up in a, a rural community. You know, all the vets were mixed practice. Yeah, in vet school, just the, the medicine and the science behind it, you know, oncology, it's, it's constantly changing, you know, on the human side and veterinary and the other thing I really liked is the one health approach. And that's starting to become a bigger thing where people are, are talking about it more. And essentially what it is, is how we can use medicines to help people, but also help dogs. Because our, especially our dogs, you know, they live with us. They share so much of the same environment and everything with us. And they get cancer. And, and it's a much better model than like a mouse where somebody artificially grows a tumor on its back, you know? And so these dogs with them getting cancer, you know, it's exciting that there's new medications that we can see, you know, can this work better in dogs? And then if it does, you know, those are medicines we can help with people too. So that it's just a nice, a nice model, kind of a nice win-win for everyone. So where did you go to vet school? And then how did you get into your residency? Like, where did you go? So I've been all around. So I went to vet school at the University of Missouri because that's where I'm from. And from there, I actually did my internship at the University of Georgia and then residency at Colorado State. So I was at the Flint Animal Cancer Center. So pretty, got to see a lot of cool stuff, pretty big program there. It was fun too, though, to go to different places. I definitely recommend 
anyone that's thinking about specializing to not stay at the same program. Sometimes it's tempting because you already know everybody and have those connections, but everybody practices a little bit differently. And so it's nice to go to different programs and just see how other people are doing it. And also you meet so many more people when you move around. Exactly. You get, you make even more connections when you meet all those new people. And I agree, like going through my rotations right now and jumping from practice to practice, it's like, you know, comparing different types of apples. You have green ones, you have red ones, you have ones that are bright white in the middle. So it's, it's really like, it's all the same medicine, but everyone has their like little flair to it. I remember in school being kind of frustrated sometimes because the textbooks might tell you what drugs to use to treat things, but they never say how long or how often to recheck or it's, you know, it's just harder to find. And so that's where I think seeing how everybody does it just helps. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to get opinions and like real world experience and that stuff is super helpful. So much more than the textbook. (laughs) With all this increasing stuff in oncology and all the new things coming out. I know there's like a vaccine and there's a bunch of new treatments. Can you tell us a little bit about you know what these new discoveries are? Yes, we're trying in oncology to, again, mirror people in some ways. You know, they're getting more precision medicine in people. So looking at different mutations and seeing what drugs could specifically target that. So there's a, a couple different groups out there doing that. Um, One's called Phytocure. They've been around a little bit longer and they have a a panel of drugs that they compare the mutations to. So trying again to help tailor what would work. Um, There's another group called Vidium, which has a really large panel of mutations and things they can find. So those are a a couple new companies that, you know, it's still early on, but I think it'll be really interesting to see how, you know, if we know those mutations, how that could guide therapy and prognosis. That's the other big thing we're looking for too. We'll be right back with more Pet Candy. Hey, pet parents. This is your favorite lifestyle guru, Renee Michelle, and I'm excited to tell you about my new show on Pet Candy. Join me and make some cute pet stuff. Talk about life and love and everything in between. Check out the Renee Michelle show on mypetcandy.com and let's have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. Because the quicker you can treat it, hopefully, you know, the more survival we have of these cancers. So that's awesome. Yeah. And then there's a couple of new blood tests that came out in the last, I want to say, year or so, where they're actually looking at them as screening tests. So everybody, including in people, they're trying to find what's called a liquid biopsy, meaning is there a way we could detect cancer before we could really otherwise find it? So like in a blood sample, you know, the, that cancer blood test, you know, you'll find owners always want, well, just run the cancer test, you know, and, you know, that's really never existed, except now we actually have a couple groups. There's, if I'm saying their names right, it's like PetDX and NUQ, but they're both running blood tests. And what they're recommending at this point is when you have an older dog, when you're already recommending annual blood work, that you could add this in. And essentially, if the results come back high or concerning, then you kind of go on a hunt for a tumor. So there's pluses or minuses with that. You know, sometimes knowing sooner, you know, certainly the goal and hope is that we could get a better outcome. But you know, we don't necessarily know that yet. So it's all very, very new, but I think it's exciting to see where this technology will take us. Yeah, absolutely. It would be nice eventually to have 
a test that, you know, a hundred percent could tell you if your dog has a, a tiny little cancer brewing that we can't find and that it's not really detectable anywhere else yet. So that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, your old Goldens, your old Labradors, like, you know, unfortunately those breeds, you know, it's brewing in there somewhere. So if we can catch it sooner with a blood test, you know, that's just very non-invasive, you know, versus doing like a CT of the whole dog every year. I mean, that's just excessive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Bless those dog souls. They're poor things. <laughs> and then with COVID and everything going on and people trying to get specialist appointments, like with you and oncology, um, tell us about your business that's been trying to kind of lighten that burden on both veterinarians and pet Yeah. You know, the, the pandemic, you know, it's been crazy for everybody, right? And there, it's been interesting, some of the different shifts and changes just with our lives. So, you know, really before the pandemic, I I don't even think I had heard of Zoom. You know, I haven't really thought much about, you know, video conferencing or anything like that. And uh, I, I think it was sort of the tip of the iceberg for me, like with the pandemic, as far as I had kept getting busier and busier at, at work, you know, my wait time to come in and see me, it kept getting larger, but it, it really definitely spiked. And I don't know if it was just, you know, there's all different theories of why, you know, were we all busier because people kept adopting pets or was it, um, which really in my field, that shouldn't be the case, right? I don't see puppies. So, you know, but just, I think some of it too, a lot of owners were just home with their animals. So they were noticing behaviors and changes that they otherwise, you know, hadn't really seen. So just as that wait time kept brewing, you know, I I just kept getting more and more frustrated because I, I, you know, my heart really broke for these people who had to wait to get in to see me so long. And sometimes it was too long, right? I mean, when you have cancer, you know, not only does everybody want to be seen immediately, but also there's some of them, you know, really can't wait a couple months. But also as the doctor, you know, as the vet, the specialist, you also are just one person, you know, you can only see so many before, you know, quality of care goes down the window. So what I did is I started a teleconsulting. So that it's called Pet Cancer Care Consulting. And the goal of this is to really try to get those owners that are falling through the cracks, you know, whether it's because the oncologist is too far away, like distance wise, the wait time's too long, or sometimes, you know, you have those pet owners that they're not sure if they want to see an oncologist, but they just have lots of questions and they keep asking the vet and at some point, you know, the vet can't know everything about everything. You know, it's just not realistic. And so with the teleconsulting, it's a great way to try to reach those owners. Basically, I partner with the family vet to provide those consults. So to really educate the owners as as well as the vet too. And also, you know, with that, I can help with follow-up, you know, if there's questions or therapy and you know, it's just a great way to try to increase access to oncology because it is, it's just, there's not nearly enough of us. Actually, the National Cancer Institute came out earlier this year saying that about 6 million dogs a year get cancer. And if you look, yeah, and that's just dogs, right? That's not counting everything else. And if you look, there's actually less than 450 boarded veterinary oncologists in the U.S. and Canada. So, I mean, there's just no way we can reach everybody. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That uh, doctor to client ratio is insane. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, and it's, you know, oncology for their dog. That's not for everybody. But even still, those odds, that's still that's still nuts. <laughs> yeah, it feels like winning the lottery then getting an oncology appointment for your dog. <laughs> yes, and I'm sure that's how some people feel. You know, with 
starting this new business and everything, what has been some of the challenges, you know, going from clinical practice into more of a, a digital consulting role? Yeah, it's been interesting. You know, I I know the medicine and I, I understand, you know, what's missing in the field and how to try to, you know, fill in those gaps and help people. But the business side of it, that's all new for me. You know, I, I really, you know, in college, I was focused on science and veterinary medicine. So I completely ignored business classes. So it's it's been a challenge. Luckily, I have a lot of support around me that have business background and so they can help guide me. But it it, that has been a real challenge, just figuring out, you know, where to start, you know, getting a lawyer, getting a business started, you know, just kind of seemingly simple things. But when you have no idea, it can seem seem like a lot. Yeah, it's definitely challenging, you know, as veterinarians and a lot of specialists, like we're so used to knowing exactly what we need to do. And then when we branch out into something that's different from medicine, it's kind of scary because you're like, I have no idea where to start. So utilizing other specialists in their field to help do whatever you want to get done is really helpful. Right. I think it's all about being a team, you know, whether it's a small team and you're just kind of picking the brain of some friends or, you know, even like my accountant, you know, I'm like asking him like, what, what do I do with this? Do I need to get a bookkeeper? Like, what do I, what do I do here? And so, yeah, it's definitely a process. I think, you know, it's one of those things where if you have an idea, it's, you know, you can get really excited and passionate about it. But then when you try to go through the mundane kind of the mud of the bookkeeping or the legality and all this stuff, it can be hard to keep going, you know, and and you kind of lose that passion. So I I think it's something where you just have to, you have to remember why you started and just keep pushing. You know, I I think the moment you just kind of stop, that's when it all stops. You just, you got to keep moving forward. It's kind of like when you're in vet school, right? There's probably days you don't want to go to class, but you just got to push through because you know there's light at the end of the tunnel. I guess what drew you to oncology in the first place? Like there's so many specialties you can go into in veterinary medicine. Why oncology? You know, they, they say too, it's the, your mentors around you and that really can influence you. And I think mine certainly did. The oncology group at Missouri when I was there were just fabulous. They were great people. But I also, you know, the medicine side of it, I really like that, the medicine and science. The other part too is I liked the way you get to help people with oncology because when clients come in and see you for oncology, you know, you you feel helpless and out of control, right? Like you don't have any control over cancer. And so I enjoy being able to try to show empathy to those people and try to help guide them you know, give them options, help to lead them so that they don't feel so hopeless. You know, I think a lot of time just having a plan and whether that plan is palliative care or hospice or if it's, you know, everything, you know, surgery, chemo, the whole gamut. I think just knowing what to expect and having a plan makes so much of a difference for people and they just really calm down. Yeah, because it's not like, oh, my dog, you know, broke its leg. I need to get surgery, put a couple of rod and pins in it like people, pet owners generally like know those type of things. Like, oh, if they have a broken leg and need surgery to fix it. But cancer is one of those, I guess it's kind of behind that curtain of mystery where we don't really know what's going on. So it definitely is more of a panic when owners have to go through that for sure. Right. And it's, you know, the other thing that I found interesting too is how many of my clients have a backstory. So, and and what I mean by that is, you know, you find out that, you know, it's, it's an older person and they're like, well, my spouse 
died of cancer and this dog is what helped me get through it. Or, you know, I've, I've had some, one that was really heartbreaking. It was a, a fairly younger person, you know, middle age, but her son had recently died of cancer as a teenager. And this cat had helped him get through. And then of course the cat gets cancer. And there, there's so many, you know, I had one, it was a, a cop who had actually gotten shot in the line of duty. And this stray dog just kind of showed up at his house and just really helped him helped him through it. You know, that animal bond, it, it really can be big, right? Especially when you're going through a really hard time. So it is really interesting with a lot of my clients, you know, because they just really feel like they owe that animal sometimes. And, and sometimes it's just, you know, it's a family pet and they just want everything they can do. But it is interesting for some of these clients when you find out like, oh, they're, like I said, their spouse had died or, you know, they went through a traumatic event and the, the animal helped them. We'll be right back with more Pet Candy. Want to know a secret? For only $20, you can speak to a credentialed veterinary professional 24-7 instantly. With Petsy, you can. Enjoy your life and be stress-free knowing that you can speak with a professional whenever you need to. Download the app for free today in the App Store. You'll be glad you did. Right, yeah. Especially those those high emotional times, it seems like the that bond is really what pulls people through a lot. So and it it must be so heartbreaking sometimes. Like how do you process everything and you know, not let it really affect you or or really dampen your mood as as the oncologist that sees client after client after client kind of with that heavy emotional weight. It can be hard. It, it can because it, it's big stuff. Like I said, it's not just the pet, but sometimes the owners will share with you just different things going on and, and people are pretty sad. And I think it's, you just have to focus on what you can control, you know, and I think that's just important in life in general, but I think it's more as the oncologist. So, you know, okay, what can I do? And it's basically, I can provide information and provide treatments to to try to help these people, you know, and their pet. And it's, you know, I can't control that this happened or what they ultimately decide, but just, you know, focusing on those. I think also the little victories, you know, increasing quality of life, you know, giving them more time. You know, sometimes in oncology, we're not always looking at big cures. Sometimes we are, and those are fabulous. Or the ones I love are the ones that come and see me and it turns out they actually don't have cancer. It's quite rare, but that's always a, a win, you know? It's like, guess what? This is, you're going to be fine. So, you know, but it, it, and also it's just that you do have to have a way to separate yourself. And I, I think in vet med in general, it's important to have something in place where you can like, this is work and then you go home and you try not to take work with you. And that's a skill that you develop over time, but I do think it's important to try to develop that skill. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, you know, I think something a lot of people in our profession struggle with is even if they're not an oncology, kind of dealing with that um, heavy weight sometimes that gets put on us. So learning how to process it and put it aside for your own well-being is super important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing too, along with that, and hopefully this isn't getting too off topic, but just uh, boundaries, as a vet student, the things to think about now, you know, before you're in the middle of it. And 
something I always tell vet students is you do need to set boundaries. And, and it's different for everybody. Like some people are fine giving clients their email, their cell phone, you know, and then other people aren't. Like me personally, I need to have that separation. I don't do well if I'm constantly being contacted about work. And so I, I need a little bit of separation. So I don't like giving out my cell phone, but some people find that it's, you know, they, they like that. So I think it's just figuring out what works for you and doing that. But I, I do think you need to think about it because the problem is when you don't think about it and you, you know, you're then getting stressed out because you're trying to enjoy yourself on your day off and you keep getting calls or texts and things from clients or maybe even just the office, you know, it could be this, you know, a tech or somebody that keeps contacting you. So I think you need to figure out, okay, what, what can I handle and where, where is the line, you know, just so you, you don't overdo it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot too. And I'm, I think I'm probably definitely one of those people similar to yourself where I, when I'm off, I need to be off because I put so much effort and so much energy into work when I'm there that when I'm not, I need time to not be a vet. (laughs) I think it's super important to be able to give energy to other people and things that you love to do in your life. So I need to switch off and take my vet hat off and put on my personal hat. (laughs) So what do you like to do when you're not Dr. Rachel, oncologist, saving the world? You know, (laughs) what do you do like to do with like your family or, you know, I don't know if you have kids or anything like that. I I like to go hiking. That's something I've always really liked, especially when we were in Colorado, it was really nice. You know, the Missouri and Georgia actually have some hiking too, but Colorado and um, I'm in Arizona now, so there's great hiking here. So I love to do that. And sometimes it can get a little tricky. We have have two little kids. And so they're kind of getting to where the older one can hike, but the little one, not so much. (laughs) So it gets a little challenging, you know, so sometimes we just try to figure out like, okay, maybe just a long walk through the neighborhood. I don't know, (laughs) like just something. So yeah, I, I like to I like to move around and get outside. I like to bake. That's actually one of my my hobbies. I think that's fun. My husband doesn't always like it. You know, I, we've got to sometimes figure out like give it to the neighbors. He doesn't always want it in the house. But um, I would say some form of exercise, hiking, walking, getting out, and then baking. That's kind of my big thing. And I I'm learning how to play the piano. That's kind of a new sort of a bit of a random thing as an adult. But I'd always wanted to learn how to play the piano. And so I started doing that. Still very amateur, but I'm, you know, working my way through it. I can play a couple Christmas songs. So I'm, I'm happy with that. (laughs) Oh, there we go. (laughs) That's awesome. Just in time for the holidays too. That's awesome. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Try to impress, I don't know, my family members. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Vet school makes us lifelong learners, no matter if it's medicine or music or whatever, we just always crave like learning new skills and be able to, you know, adapt and and master those. So congratulations on starting the piano. (laughs) That's fantastic. If you weren't a veterinary oncologist, is there anything else you would have done in a different life, I guess? Like what else are you interested in for a career? Right. No, that's such a great question. I feel like I'm one of those people that's constantly changing. Like when I was in vet school, I kept kind of daydreaming about being like a coffee barista because it just seemed kind of fun and chill. And probably because I was there studying. So I would just see those people. I'm like, gosh, that just seems so much more like Zen, (laughs) even though I'm sure the reality is not at all. 
I always wanted to do like a Pilates instructor or like some sort of personal trainer. So I've actually thought about that. The pandemic and all the gyms, now it's gotten kind of weird. So I, I haven't been to the gym for a long time, but I don't know. Again, it's one of those, I would probably start it and not end up enjoying it. I feel like it's like any hobby. Once you make it your career, it's not as much fun anymore, but. Right. <laughs> yeah. When you have to actually rely on it every day, you're like, oh, maybe this isn't so much fun. <laughs> right. Exactly. So yeah. But you know, at times it sounds fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess one of the other questions I have for you too is, you know, I'm going through job offers and a lot of other students, you know, are looking at where they're going to end up, whether it's through the match or, you know, right into practice. And some of these contracts are pretty scary and honestly frustrating. So do you have any advice for anyone, you know, looking through and being overwhelmed by, you know, the restrictiveness of these contracts that are out, which I'm surprised they're as restrictive as they are actually? It's, it can be tough. You know, certainly you can always get a lawyer, right? There's all kinds of lawyers that specialize like in, um, you know, work contracts and things. And so I, and I think too, it's going to depend on where you go. It it is interesting, the different states, how much they enforce, like the non-compete, you know, that's probably what you're seeing that seems pretty restrictive. And, and some of it is just going to depend, you know, like Missouri, because I I worked in Missouri for a while and um, my non-compete there was huge but it essentially knocked out the major city, you know, um, right. versus like when I was in Arizona, my, the actual mile distance wasn't as big as the one in when I was in Kansas city, but it still took up a large part of the Valley. And, you know, it's, yeah, I know some people where their um, non-compete is the entire state and, and I don't know how enforceable that is, but I, I knew a vet who was actually, would go every so many weekends out of state. They would literally fly, do like, you know, a weekend. Yeah, contracts can be tough. I think, you know, just making sure things look like they make sense and as far as, okay, what is my expectations as far as work? You know, like how many hours and on-call or is there on-call or emergency, that kind of stuff. You know, vacation, sick time, you know, what kind of benefits are involved? Unfortunately, a lot of times in veterinary medicine, we're such small companies that the benefits aren't always great. You know, I would definitely look into the benefits, but try not to get too discouraged if they're not great, just because that's a reality when you work for small businesses. But yeah, the non-competes, I guess I would just look to see, okay, how big of an area, because if it's a city where, yeah, they're going to knock out one big chunk, but I could still drive, you know, for a time period and it wouldn't be like, I wouldn't have to like fully move, you know, or, and then also it's, how in those states, how enforceable are the non-competes? And that that's also kind of interesting. And you'll get a lot of different opinions on that. But I would say if you're if you're really worried, I would get a lawyer. And then on the flip side, the other thing I would do is I wouldn't immediately buy a house. You know, your first job, you never know how it's gonna go. In fact, most people I know didn't stay at their first job for more than a year or two. So I would, that would be my other piece of advice. Don't buy a house or make any huge commitments in case it doesn't work out. And then you are kind of stuck as far as where to go next. So I would definitely just rent for a while until you make sure like, okay, this is actually the job I want. We'll be right back with more Pet Candy. Hi, this is Shay, and I want to tell you about my new show on Pet Candy, Cooking with Shay. 
I make vegan eating easy and fun. Check it out on Pet Candy TV. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, some of these non-competes and restrictive clauses, it just makes me feel like, you know, all these companies are, oh, we're different. We care about you, but we're still going to trap you here whether you like it or not. I'm like, well, doesn't that seem a little uh, contraindicated? Like, you're saying that you care and that you're different and that you're this great veterinary company. And then I see your contract. I'm like, that's bull crap because I'm reading this contract and it says the exact opposite to me. So it's just flabbergasting, like the amount of night and day of what they're saying versus what I get from their lawyer. So it's crazy. It is tough. And you do kind of have to be careful with some of these contracts. You know, I had one contract. It was very vague and it was kind of bizarre the way it was outlined. And it turned out to be a crummy situation, you know, because they they did it all purposefully so that they could make a lot of changes and things where basically they could say one thing and do another because it was all very vague in the contract. So, yeah, I guess, you know, certainly looking for some of those red flags, but sometimes too, it's hard because you're like, well, this is where I really want to live. And so it's just trying to figure out that balance. Yeah, absolutely. Like, especially, you know, if you want to go specialize, you don't want your residency to be under your non-compete. I don't even know if that would count in a non-compete, but yeah, I guess you'd have to see some of the private practice ones, especially if they're sponsoring your residency, you just, you actually have to work for them for so many years. So that's, I would think even more because then they can tell you where you have to go. So, you know, like you can say, I want to work in California or I want to work, you know, wherever, but they might put you somewhere totally different because that's where they need it for, you know, however many years. And, you know, how is it, you know, when you applied through the match and everything for your residency, would you, you know, give any pointers or tips to our student listeners that are, you know, going through that right now? You know, I would apply to several. I wouldn't put all your eggs in just a couple baskets um, because there's so many people. But I also wouldn't apply anywhere that you know you would absolutely hate. And whether that's just that geographically, you just can't see yourself living in that place or whatever. Also, the other thing I, I would recommend is just as soon as you start. So, and also if you're in vet school or as soon as you start like an internship um, or residency, but definitely have the attitude that, you know, this is, this is my favorite rotation, right? Like when you're in vet school, because if you have that attitude, because you never know what connections are going to mesh, you know, like, like actually some of the doctors in my food animal, because we had to do a lot of cow and horses and stuff rotations at Missouri, um, a lot of those faculty actually knew oncologists. So they all talk, you know? So I would definitely have a, a good attitude on whatever rotation you're on. Also, when you start your internship, you don't have a lot of time for those people, the faculty or, you know, the, the specialists to get to know you, to write references for your residency. So from day one, I would know where you want to go. Like for me, oncology, so I made sure, you know, day one after orientation, like I talked with the oncologist, I let them know that I was interested in oncology, and I also let them know that I'd be interested in research. So that's another great way to get to meet these people. Even if the research doesn't end up getting published or anything, you still get to meet these people and get to have a better relationship with them kind of outside of the typical rotation. So same in vet school, if you're thinking about specializing, I would really look for a research project because that's just going to add to your resume and also 
it lets those people kind of see you a little bit more so they can write better references or, or just be a reference. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Getting those relationships and those connections is, is everything because, you know, it's hard to pick a internship or residency location where you don't know them and they don't know you. You're just, it is a lottery and it's kind of scary to go through that. And if you get dropped in somewhere, it might go really well or it might not go so well. So definitely a a stressful um, thing to go through. It is. It's tough. You know, I went from Missouri to Georgia to Colorado. So it was certainly, you know, a jump for me. It's doable. I mean, it, it was a overall, it was a great experience. And the internship too, traditionally, that's the harder one, right? As far as just like your hours and everything you have to do. So I would also just have the attitude of, I, you know, I, I felt like I could do anything for a year because my internship, just the way it worked out, we really didn't have much time off at all. Like I, I was in the clinic, I think the first four months, I don't think I had a day off. And some of that was just the way my rotations fell. But like literally in every day, Saturday, Sunday, you know, was literally in at the hospital. And so I, I couldn't do that forever. But for a year, I could do that. So I think sometimes too, just having that perspective of like, okay, this is only a year, I can do this for a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And to keep it all in perspective, especially if that internship is your stepping stone to a residency that you have your heart set on. It's definitely, I think, worth it in that um, instance. And do you have any last pointers for anyone that's, you know, interested in oncology or, you know, is really interested in it, but doesn't know too much about it yet and wants to know more? Well, one of my mentors, what she told me is if you can read the oncology textbook, which the big one we use, it's called Withrow and McEwen. And she was basically like, if you can read through that textbook and you're still interested in oncology, then you should probably specialize in it. And so that's what I did. I I read through the book and I'm like, this is great. I really like this. So this is what I'm going to do. So I, I would say that for anybody that's interested in specializing, if you can read through the major textbook, which, you know, they're all big books um, and you're still interested, then, you know, that's a good way to go. And and I think the other thing is that I would especially want to tell students is um, positive self-talk, right? Like it's so easy to get down on ourselves and when you're stressed out and things, but just remember you know, focus on what you can control and the good, you know, focus on positive reinforcement, not the negative. And then also you can't know everything about everything. So, you know, use different team members or specialists or like with me, you know, the teleconsulting, we're wanting to partner and help. And so I I think just remembering that throughout your career that you can't do everything. And so utilize those other resources and those other people around you. We'll be right back with more Pet Candy. This is Caitlin Palmer, host of Bees and Queens, and I wanted to tell you about a great gift idea for your pet. Give your pet the gift of health with a wellness checkup from Petsy. For only $20, you can connect instantly with a credentialed veterinary professional 24-7 from all 50 states. It's so easy. Just download the Petsy app on the Apple Store or Google Play. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rachel, for joining me today. It was so great to meet you and and talk about, I mean, everything from oncology to contracts to life. So this has been great. (laughs) I I thought it was great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a nice chat. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So 
I hope you have a fantastic uh, rest of your week and holiday. And this has been Simply Pets with Shannon Gregoire. I hope to see you next time. Thank you. Pet Candy, it's Pet Candy Radio.